Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. I want to preach a message today titled Contact Tracing. Contact Tracing. If you didn't get a sermon card, you can put your hand in the air and you'll be served in this time. But let me pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you it is a day that you have created. And I ask, Holy Spirit, you would help us look to you, our creator, to receive from you in the person of Jesus. Truth, grace, your help, your will. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And I ask Holy Spirit that you would reveal Jesus, His kingdom to hearts and minds. That you would stir hunger and passion in us for all that Jesus is and all that He's made possible. I yield myself to you, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know if before 2020 you have heard of this theme or this phrase, but I'm confident that now due to 2020, most of you, if not all of you, have now heard of contact tracing. Contact tracing. In fact, one article says that contact tracing tracks down anyone who might have been infected by a person who was recently diagnosed so those contacted can quarantine themselves and prevent further spread. In fact, one article, the CDC, says communities must scale up and train a large contact tracer workforce and work collaboratively across public and private agencies to stop the transmission of COVID-19. Contact tracing. As I began to think about contact tracing and came in contact with articles and such things regarding contact tracing, I couldn't help but to think about the reality that there's contact tracing in the Scriptures. Maybe you've not seen it before. Maybe you've not connected the dots before. But there is... Or there are types of contact tracing in Scripture. In John chapter 16, Jesus is in his sort of final moments with his apostles. That he had been training and discipling that had been with him before he is about to be betrayed by Judas Iscariot and handed over. And he goes before, of course, the high priest and then Pilate and before he would suffer and fulfill his passion and obedience to the Father through his scourging and crucifixion and death. But in these last moments with his apostles in John 16, beginning in verse 1, he says, These things I have spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble. I like that. I don't know if you found this out yet about God, but God doesn't just blabber and talk. 
He doesn't just talk to talk. He doesn't just speak to hear himself speaking. God always has a purpose behind what it is he says. And it's the same with Jesus. He says something, but he says there's a purpose behind it that you should not be made to stumble. Verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogues. That sounds like quarantine to me. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. This is amazing. Jesus says, he tells the apostles, there are people who think they will be doing the will of God. That through their actions, they think that they will be offering service unto God. But in reality, they do not even know the Father, nor do they know me. Is that not the reality of us as humans? Because of sin's effect on our life, that we can believe so often that we are helping, when in reality we are hindering and hurting others. Jesus says, look, there are going to be these people, this group of people. He's speaking of the Jews in the immediate context there that he's talking about. And he says, they think that they will be serving God by persecuting you, by quarantining you, my followers, by no longer allowing you to associate with Jewish people in the synagogues. They think that they will be offering service to me, but in reality they are hindering and hurting others and themselves. And this is the reality we see in Scripture. That misguided religion seeks to quarantine through contact tracing those who have been truly in contact with the living God. It doesn't matter if the religion comes under the guise of Christianity or the religion comes under the guise of Buddhism or whatever type of religion. Listen to me. Jesus' followers are not following a religion. We're following a resurrected Lord. The difference of true biblical Christianity is the first words of Christianity. It is about Christ. It is founded upon Christ. It is built by Christ. It is about Christ. It is for the glory and worship of Christ. The spotlight is on Christ. But religion and all forms of religion seek to quarantine through contact tracing those that have truly been in contact with the living God. From Jeremiah the prophet to Isaiah the prophet to Moses the servant of God all the way to Jesus to his first apostles and the early church you find that religion is always seeking to quarantine, to shut up, to separate, to silence, to hinder those that have truly been in contact with the living God. In fact you see it. In Acts chapter 4 in the early church, Peter stands up to preach in Acts 4.12 and he says what still is true today. Whether it's offensive to the pride of humans who want to be their own king and live life their own way, he says in Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no other name than the name of Jesus. Not in Buddha, not in Muhammad, not in your good works, not in your own name, not in your family's name, not in the donation of your past legacy of grandparents. No, there is salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And then verse 13 says, Now when they saw the boldness 
of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. They marveled. They marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. Contact tracing. Here they are, they say, wait a minute. We didn't train these guys. These guys haven't been qualified. Whose seal of approvals on these guys? And they begin to go through their, their Rolodex and their mental capacity to try to figure out what in the world. They go through their contacts. They go through on their phone and they go through their email lists and they're trying to figure out where have these guys got what they got. And through contact tracing, they realize, oh, I remember, these guys have been with Jesus. Verse 14, it says, And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them. Why was the man healed? Because he came in contact with Peter and John who had been in contact with Jesus. And they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further. Watch that. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. And they called them and they commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Peter and John says we've been in contact. We've been in contact with the living God and a living gospel that is transformed and we have found the one who alone has the words to eternal life and we cannot but help to spread what's happened because of the contact we've had with Jesus Christ. We cannot but speak of the things we have seen and heard. We have been in contact. But notice the religious mentality. Notice the religious mindset. Their intent was so that it spreads no further among the people. Let us severely threaten them. Did you know they tried to do it with Lazarus? Contact tracing. They tried contact tracing with Lazarus. Do you remember Lazarus? He was one who was close to Jesus who Jesus raised from the dead. Watch this in John 12, verse 9. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, Jesus, and they came not for Jesus' sake only. Ain't that interesting? But that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also. Because, watch this, on account... Of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. They wanted to quarantine, silence, they wanted to kill Lazarus. Why? Because he was evidence that the kingdom of God was at hand, that the king was at hand. And religion through contact tracing wanted to snuff out the reality of the kingdom of God. Because see, there's one thing about the kingdom of God. 
There's a word in the beginning of kingdom. It's called king. And you and I are not king. We can embrace religion and still be our own king. We can embrace religion and still keep control of our own schedule and our pursuits and our life. But you cannot come in contact with the king of the kingdom and stay in control. Religion loves to try to stay in control. They said, we got to silence Lazarus. We got to kill him. Why? Because he is evidence of the power of God, the working of God. And the kingdom of God is at hand. They wanted to silence him because they were losing They were losing many people that were starting to believe in Jesus. They were losing their grasp over control. They were losing grasp over their influence. And they said, we got to stop this. See, listen to me. Misguided religion seeks to extinguish the miraculous just like they sought to extinguish the life of Lazarus. Misguided religion seeks to remove the demonstration of Jesus' resurrection power. Misguided religion seeks to silence and cover up the tracing of the manifestations of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that's been happening since the day of Pentecost. Religion and religious people won't put the books and put the history and put the clear evidence before you that says since the day of Pentecost, the power of God has still been operating on the earth, that the gifts of the Spirit have still been happening, that even if it's not been on a global scale, and made the global news there have been revival there has been the holy fire of God there has been the work of God's spirit happening ever since the day of Pentecost but misguided religion won't tell you that now from these texts that I just we just looked at Jesus saying look people think they'll offer service to God and yet they're going to persecute you. They're going to try to quarantine you. And then in Acts 4, their religious leaders try to silence Peter and, and John. And then they're trying to extinguish Lazarus who represents the power of God and resurrection power. And, and the kingdom of God is at hand. From all of these texts, we can see the reality of the power of contact. Let me talk for a moment about the power of contact. First, let me define contact. According to dictionary.com, contact is the act of state of touching. A touching or meeting as of two things or people. That's what contact is. It's a coming together, a touching, a meeting of two things or two people. And there's a power of contact. In fact, you see this as Scripture begins to unfold in the Old Testament. One place is in Numbers chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper, everyone who has a discharge, and whoever becomes defiled by a corpse. What's it saying? It's saying that there is a power regarding contact. And you see this... In the Old Testament, you remember even in Exodus, God said, I'm coming down and I'm going to meet with Moses. And, he, and, the, and God says, but people can't touch the mountain. I need you to put up fences in case someone gets pride in their heart and won't listen to my commands and wants to run up and come in contact with the mountain, lest they die. So he said, put up some fences around the, the mountain, lest they come into contact 
contact. Then in Leviticus, you find verse after verse in the law of Moses. It's about how contact with certain things brings contamination. It brings uncleanness. And and therefore, it means people got to be put out of the camp. You see this issue in the Old Testament about the power of contact. That, of course, the things I just mentioned, is in a negative connotation. But let me tell you about the power of contact, contact in a positive connotation. 2 Kings 13. If you've never read through Scripture, or if you never have spent much time in the Old Testament, you're probably not familiar with this story. But in 2 Kings 13, we find something that happens regarding Elisha. But it's unique regarding Elijah. Let's just read it and then I'll explain. In 2 Kings 13, 20, it says, Then Elisha died, and they buried him. And the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. So it was, as they were burying a man, they, that suddenly they spied a band of raiders. And they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. What do we see? We see the power of contact. That here was a man who had died, and they're about to bury him, and they see these raiders coming, and they say, oh my gosh. And so they just quickly put this dead man in the tomb of Elisha. And the moment the dead man came in contact with the bones of Elijah, he revived, he was resurrected, and he came alive again. Why is this? Because Elijah's bones still had the tangible anointing and the power of God within them. Within them. Why? Because Elisha received a mantle from God. He received an endowment, endowment and empowerment from on high. But how did he get it? He got it through the power of contact. It was through his contact with the prophet Elijah that Elisha received the mantle and the anointing and the power of God. And that mantle and that anointing was still in the bones of Elijah that when the dead man came into contact, With the bones of Elijah, he revived and came alive. What do we see here? We see this where death brings life. Death brings life. All of the Old Testament is written that it is revealing what we will find the substance of in Christ. It's types, it's shadows, it's stories that God has inspired to be recorded and written down that we find the reality, the substance of something greater in the person of Christ. And here in this story of Elijah, we're looking at the mystery of when death brings life. And we see the power of contact. What we're looking at is we're looking at an Old Testament type of Jesus. Because you remember Elijah was taken to heaven, he never died. He was taken to heaven, and when he was taken to heaven because Elisha was still with him, the mantle fell, and Elijah Elisha picked it up. Now watch this. You remember Jesus, after he was raised, he was taken to heaven also. And right before he was raised, he looked at those who still was with him and followed him, and he said, guess what? 
Something's about to come from on high. You're about to be endued with power from on high and wait for the promise of the Father, the coming of the Holy Spirit. You're seeing a type in the Old Testament of what happens in the New Testament and in the person of Jesus. Now let me talk about Jesus for a moment. In Mark chapter 1, 41, the earliest gospel account records the ministry of Jesus. And it says in Mark 1, 41, Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out His hand, and touched him, and said to him, This is a leper, I am willing, be cleansed. Notice contact. He touched the leper. And Matthew 8 and 15 says, So he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and served them. Notice that. He touched her. Contact. In Luke 7, 13 and 15, When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin. This is a a mother whose only child had died. And he comes upon the funeral and he sees the mother weeping. And he says, do not weep. He's moved with compassion and he touches the coffin. And those who carried him stood still and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And he presented him to his mother. What do we see again? Contact. We see the power of contact. In Luke 22 and 51, you remember it? Jesus has just been arrested, or he's being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Peter says, no! He pulls out his sword. He cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Jesus, in Luke twenty-two fifty-one, Jesus answered and said, permit even this. Watch this. And he touched his ear and healed him. What do we see? Contact. Contact. Now watch this though, in Mark 6 and 56. It says, Whenever he, Jesus, entered into villages, cities, or in the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many, someone say as many. As many as touched him were made well. What do we see? Contact. In Mark chapter 3 and verse 10, For he healed many, so that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him. Contact. Luke 6 and 19, And the whole multitude sought to touch him, being Jesus, for power went out from him and healed them all. Contact. Did you know there is the touch of Jesus by the finger of God, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but there's also us touching the Lord. Listen to me. The Lord can touch us with His resurrection power, but we also can touch the Lord to receive His power. The Lord can not only touch us with His power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, But we can touch the Lord and receive His power. You know what that means? It means in the kingdom of God as followers of Jesus, there's no room for passivity. There's no reason in that room just to sit back hoping one day contact will happen. Because if the Lord is not touching you right now, 
Wonder if He's putting you in a season and a place to teach you or to see are you hungry enough, are you desperate enough, are you lovesick enough that you by faith will learn how to touch Him when He's not touching you. Let me ask you this question. Are you maybe waiting for the Lord to touch you with His power when He's waiting for you to seek and touch Him? See, what you see in the person of Jesus is we're seeing the fulfillment of the law of Moses. You remember in the law of Moses, God is showing the power of contact. He's saying through Old Testament types and shadows in history that if people came into contact with certain things, they became unclean. They had to no longer be involved in the camp and what God was doing. They had to go outside of the camp. That, that the power of contact is that uh, can, contamination could happen. Defilement can happen. Then Jesus shows up who God the Father sends. And we find out that Jesus is the one who can remove our uncleanness. Jesus is the one that if we come into contact with Him, He can remove where we have came in contact with sin and defilement in the world. Jesus comes as the fulfillment, as the solution that His holiness is greater than our sinfulness. Can I hear an amen? That His holiness is greater than our defilement. That His purity is greater than our contamination. That His grace is greater than our weakness. And we see through Jesus the power of contact. That Jesus would touch people and what was in Him was greater than the issues that were in people. But then you also see that there were people that had issues and dysfunctions and if they could just touch Jesus, then what was in Jesus could flow into them and deal with what was affecting them. See, for those of us that are believers and followers of Jesus Christ here today, listen, Jesus is the greater one in us than He and what is in the world around us. Now look at this other story in the Gospel of Mark. In Mark chapter 5 and verse 25. It says, Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. And had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, what'd she hear? She heard the things that we just read about. That if Jesus touched someone, he had a greater power than anyone's uncleanness, defilement, sickness, Anything that they had come in contact with that was trying to contain them, trying to keep them from God's purpose, keep them from God's will, keep them from a life of moving forward, of peace. And then she also heard that not only if he touched people, but if people could just touch him. See... By God's grace and calling, part of my function is I am a teacher. And teachers like to break down stuff and line upon line. And, you know, teachers like to explain. But we can't always just teach because we're made different. People learn in different ways. Sometimes we got to tell stories we got to tell stories of contact tracing. 
that we're not breaking down and trying to explain. We're telling stories of facts of people that came in contact with something that and someone who's greater than their defilement, greater than their dysfunction, greater than their upbringing, greater than their past, greater than their shame. And we got to get the stories out there because a lot of times faith don't just come by being taught. A lot of times the Holy Spirit offers faith through the stories of contact tracing where people have had Jesus touch them are people who have learned to touch Jesus. And she's hearing these stories. And the stories are used for faith to arise in her heart. And verse 27 says, When she heard about Jesus, she came behind Him in the crowd and touched His garment. For she said in her heart, watch this, If only I may touch His clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him. Power went out of him and you can feel the power of God when it touches you. You Notice that, that she felt and Jesus knew power had gone out of him. And she felt in her body. And he turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched me? Who touched me? There was a lot of people in the crowd. But we only see in this story she touched him. Oh listen, this crowd called Dwelling Place is going to keep growing by the grace and the goodness of God because it's about him and not about us and his heart to reveal Jesus. But listen, the crowd can keep growing and the gatherings can keep growing, but it doesn't mean that every time, every person, every gathering touches him or lets Jesus touch them. But what I'm trying to tell you is it's an opportunity for each of us, for you to let Jesus touch you. And if you've been coming and Jesus hasn't touched you, maybe it's a season where the Lord wants to equip you and teach you and grow you to learn how to touch him. The power of contact. And he said, who touched me? Verse 32, and he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, watch this, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and healed of your affliction. When she said in her heart, I shall be made well, that was faith that had been authored by the Holy Spirit as she heard stories about Jesus. She didn't say, I might be. She didn't say, I hope to be. She said, I shall be. That's faith. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. She already had the substance of what she hoped for in her heart, and that's why in her heart she said, I shall be made well. It's not, I might. It's not, maybe. I shall be made well. Where you see the hope is this. If only I may touch his clothes. She knew if she touched him, she would be healed. The hope part was that she would be able to get to him. She had the faith to be healed. She then had hope that she could make it through the crowd. Listen to me. Sometimes you start on one side and the Holy Spirit's offered faith. And now you have hope that in a context or in a way you can receive what it is you have faith for. Sometimes though you start on the hope side. 
And things are trying to crowd you out from believing. Things are trying to crowd you out from seeking Jesus. Things are trying to crowd you out from hearing Him, growing in grace in Him, focusing on Him. But you start with hope. And then the Holy Spirit moves you to faith. But notice Jesus says, it was your faith that made you well. 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 What that means is, is we can contact Him by allowing the Holy Spirit to create faith in us. You don't just have to wait for the Lord to move and do something on you and contact you. God's made a way. See, listen, in the new covenant, the new covenant is the power of contact. God now has made a sufficient way for Him to be able to contact us through the person of Jesus Christ. Would you read the old covenant ever since Adam and Eve's sin? You're looking at history where there's a big problem. And the big problem is, is God didn't have a sufficient way to contact us, His creation. Why? Because God's nature is unchanging. And though God is loving, His nature is holy. What that means is, when God comes in the presence and there's darkness and there's sin that destroys and hurts, God's nature attacks it and absolutely contains it. The problem was, is that sin now was on the inside of you and me. So God created us and He loved us and He wanted to stay in contact with us as creation, but sin became a big problem. But God through the new covenant made a way through Jesus that now He could contact us. He made a way through Jesus' blood, through the cross, Jesus' death. Now this brings me back to what we saw about the story of Elisha. Maybe you remember, but you remember what the text said in the story? It said, when the dead man touched the bones of Elijah, he revived and stood on his feet. And it's an Old Testament example of the mystery of when death brings life. Let me tell you what the fulfillment of that mystery of when death brings life is. It's Jesus. It's when the death of Jesus, the mystery of the death, now can bring life to you and I. It's the mystery that through the cross, God has made a way to spoil principalities and powers. He's made a way to destroy the power of sin off of our life. He's made a way to remove the barriers from a God who longs to have contact with His creation. And the bones of Jesus, like Elijah's bones, or His death, listen, it will revive us when we have been let down. You remember the story? It said when the dead man had been let down, he touched the bones of Elisha and he revived. What I'm trying to tell you is, is there's things that will try to crowd out in your heart and mind the reality that contact is available to one that's greater than what we've been facing. And what I'm trying to tell you, if you've not lived long enough, is you're going to be let down. You're going to be let down by your own expectations. You're going to be let down by a government that's not perfect. You're going to be let down by family that's not perfect. You're going to be let down by spouses that ain't perfect. You're going to be let down by friends that aren't perfect. You're going to be let down by circumstances and seasons that ain't perfect but when you're let down there is a mystery of the cross that can bring life out of death that when you're let down if you can just touch the bones of Jesus his death the Holy Spirit will revive you he'll revive you he'll revive you 
When we've been let down, if we just come into contact with the cross and its provisions for us, we'll be revived. Jesus' death brings life for us. And this is what you see the Apostle Paul learned to practically live out daily. See, the practical outworking of the principle of Jesus' death in us brings the experience of His life through us. In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 10, notice what the Apostle Paul says. He says, always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. He's like saying, everywhere I care, I'm walking, it's like I got the bones of Jesus in my pockets. It's like those bones of Elijah I got. I'm staying in contact with the mystery of death that brings life. I'm staying in contact with what God has made available that even when I've been let down, Paul been let down, he had people on his ministry team that didn't stand with him when he was on trial. He had been left. He had demons that forsook him for the current world. Paul had been let down. He was probably let down when he'd already been through a shipwreck. He gets on an island, gets bit by a snake. He's like, come on, God, really? I just went through fastings, went through a storm, went through a shipwreck, finally made it to dry land, and it's raining now on the land, and then I get bit by a snake. Come on. I mean, Paul had to feel let down at times, but he stayed in contact with the mystery of Jesus' death that brings life, that revived him. And here's what he said. I'm caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal body body. Paul understood the power of contact. He kept in contact with the provision of Jesus' death because just like Elijah's bones when we come in contact through faith with Jesus' finished work, we are revived. And I want to tell you, there is a contact tracing that's good for you and I. If you go back and you study all the revivals, you study the moves of God, you study where the supernatural work of God is evident among His people, what you'll find is is you'll find people that were staying in contact. People that were staying in contact with the finished work of Jesus Christ. This is how revival happens. And you get enough people that stay in contact, that's how you get a corporate revival. And you get enough followers of Jesus that stay in contact. Not only do you get a corporate revival, but it'll spill out into our community where people who are bound by sin and living for temporary pleasures that can't fulfill them and are blinded by the enemy and bound, it'll spill out and awake. Cause them to awake to eternity, to their need and their need of a Savior. The power of contact. The power of contact. Oh, just the power of contact. Oh, one touch. One one moment. One stretch of faith to touch Him. One one reaching out and through the hand of your Spirit to touch the mystery of His death that brings life. The power of contact. John 16, Jesus continues that 
first verse, verses that we read this morning where he tells them, he said, look, there's going to be people that think they're doing service unto to me. But they're going to try to quarantine you. And they're, they're going to, through contact tracing, realize that you have been with me. And they're going to cast you out of the synagogues. And, and they're going to try to quarantine you because you're going to represent the reality that I'm king and my kingdom is at hand. And Jesus in John 16 verse 5 says, But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Here's Jesus and here's what he's telling the apostles. He tells the eleven now, He says, I will no longer physically be present. I'll no longer physically be with you, but you can remain in contact with me. I'll no longer be physically present. You'll you'll no longer be able to physically handle me and physically see me with your eyes and, and physically hear my words with your ears, but you can stay in contact with me through the Holy Spirit, the helper whom I will send. And the Holy Spirit, the helper I'm sending, He'll also lead you into all truth because all truth testifies of me. So this leads me to these two questions for you and I this morning. How are you letting the Holy Spirit contact you? How are you through the Holy Spirit contacting Jesus? It's the power of contact. Secondly, there's not just the power of contact. There's also the power of contact with the context. There's a power behind contact with the context. Let me explain. In Matthew 13, 58, you see the power behind being in contact with a certain context. Here's Jesus. He's in his hometown. He's in Nazareth. People have observed and heard of him you know, from his upbringing. They knew that he was supposedly Joseph, the carpenter's son. Believed that Joseph died... Fairly early, that's why in the time of Jesus' ministry, you know, he's around 30 to 33, they always said, isn't he Mary's son? Why? Where's Joseph? Many scholars believe Joseph, like, which was common in the days of Jesus, was an older man who married a a young woman, right? The uniqueness of it is she was a virgin and yet had already conceived the only begotten of God, Jesus. And that he had passed away. But here he is at his hometown in Nazareth. In Matthew 13, 58 it says, Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Look at the power of the contact, contact with the context. The people in Nazareth, as they stayed in contact with one another what they did is they fed each other's unbelief. So much that here is Jesus, the king of the kingdom, who has the power to absolutely deal with what has contaminated their life, what has tried to control their life, what has tried to hold them back from being in contact with their creator. But he couldn't do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. There in that context... Nazareth, he could not do many mighty works. Why? Listen to me. 
Though God, through Jesus, has the power to deal with what needs to be dealt with on the earth, in our home, in our hearts, in our relationships, here, listen, He will not override another authority He gave you and I, which is our will. All throughout Scripture, that's what God shows. You want a certain king? Here you go. Meaning God allows what happens on the earth not because it's a representation of His heart, of His will. It's a representation of the heart of a bunch of contexts. People. 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 And Jesus couldn't do many mighty works because of in that context, there's unbelief. Now look at a different context. John chapter 12 and verse 1. John chapter 12 and verse 1. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, appointed, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house, and the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. Woo, look at the difference. Here, Mary's honor. She takes what the scripture calls in the days and the customs of Jesus and the early church. She takes what is called her glory. Her hair. And she takes her glory and she, in a sense, lays it at the feet of Jesus. She's showing her honor towards Jesus. And here is her faith-filled, worship-filled good deeds for Jesus. And her honoring and her faith-filled, worship-filled good deed, you know what it does? It fills the entire house with an aroma. Here is a context now that's filled with the principle of honoring the king. Worshiping the King, laying what we think is our glory, our talents, our abilities, our accomplishments, our strength, laying it at the feet of Jesus and saying, Lord, it's for you. Here's my life. Here's all that I have for you and I will worship you and I will pour it out on you. And here she is and in that she's setting and creating a context where it's filled with the oil, the fragrance. Now I can imagine, the text doesn't say, but I can imagine the next day as everybody that was in that house they go about their daily commute their daily task and as they come into contact with other people people are going you smell that? man what is that? see listen they weren't living in America in 2020 where they're taking showers every day hopefully the majority of us at least. At least every other day. Come on. God will still give rain. Alright, we're not going to run out of water. Until the tribulation. That's another story. But <laughs> So, but they're not taking showers, baths every day. The house was filled with that aroma. And as they go the next day, everybody that comes into contact with them. What's that smell? I need to find out what's going on. And it begins a search. Not, not for contact tracing to quarantine. 
that which is helpful. But, but a contact tracing to discover and seek out where that beautiful aroma is coming from. You and I got to get a heart, a nose for contact tracing of the move of God's Spirit. To, to how God's moved in the past, how God's moving now. We got to get a nose and a heart. See, the context of our friends and who we do life with, I'm talking about intimate. I'm not talking about acquaintances. I'm talking about who you do life with. Creates a context in your heart, in your mind that can be like Nazareth that seeks to reinforce unbelief and reinforce passivity and reinforce, well, maybe one day Jesus will touch me. Maybe one day I'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Or it actually reinforces strength, reinforces faith, reinforces passion, reinforces seeking. That if Jesus ain't touched me yet, there's now a way through communing with the Holy Spirit where I can touch His bones. I can touch the mystery of His death. And I can experience a reviving, reviving by faith. Matthew 9 and verse 2, Casey, if you'll come, says, Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, come on, someone say their faith. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. When he saw their faith, listen to me. Jesus does not just see individual faith. He also sees the faith of a context. What I'm trying to tell us right now is Jesus not only sees your individual faith, but He's looking at dwelling place, seeing if this is a context of faith. Is this a context of faith that will reinforce that the power of God is still available? That one touch, just like the touch of that cord to there, light can shine. One touch of faith to Jesus' bones, the anointing of God can touch your life and you'll never be the same. The anointing of God can fill you. I talked to one of my brothers yesterday who not too long ago was filled with the Holy Spirit. Whole life changed. One contact. One touch. Him touching you or you by faith touching Him. Contact with context can reinforce unbelief or faith. Listen to me. Oftentimes where we live in the Bible Belt, here in Woodstock, Georgia, here in America, we can feel like, I'm talking we, those that believe in the power of God, those that believe that contact through the ministry of the Holy Spirit is still available, that the supernatural is still happening, that the Lord is still healing and delivering and saving and restoring and resurrecting, that we who believe that oftentimes because of the context we live, live in feel like we're the minority. But let me just tell you, I verified it again yesterday with my brother, Pastor Craig. I was feeling down and I said, I know God's called me to preach this, but I'm looking around. And as I was looking around at the context, I was feeling down. I said, oh, I need to contact. I need to just verify the trace of the work of God's Spirit. So I sent him a text. And I said, just help me out. Just, I just need to verify. Are Spirit-filled people that believe in the power of God, are they outgrowing every other context of church life in the world? And it's an absolutely. Let me tell you, you might feel alone. You might feel strange at your workplace and in this community. But the people that believe in the power of God and experience the power of God is outgrowing every other number of believer and every other type of faith on the planet. 
contact tracing. Listen to me. The power of God's moving all over the earth. You just got to, like that fragrance, where is it? What's happening? You just got to find out. You got to find out. God's power is saving people all over the world. People are being filled with the Holy Spirit. People are operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The power of God's healing and delivering people all over the world. So there is the power of contact. But there's also the power of contact with the context. See, our psyche, our human psychology is oftentimes because there's so much in life to try to figure out or know. Listen to me, we are all, we all look to what psychologists call social proof. Social proof. Meaning we assume that if others are doing something, it must be a good idea. The vulnerability for you and I though is in our context where you and I live and what's surrounding us, surrounding us and what we see doesn't necessarily provide the proof of what I just said that the power of God is operating globally People are experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. People are touching Jesus through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. People are being touched by Jesus through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But that's why some of us have to go first and say, you know what? I'm going to go first. In the story of Jesus at Lazarus' home, I'm going to be like Mary. I'm going to lay my honor. I'm going to lay my achievements. I'm going to lay my worship. I'm going to lay my praise at the foot of Jesus so that that oil, that smell of heaven, that fragrance of the anointing of God would be upon my life so that as I come in, it rubs off on the person next to me. And before long, we got a context right here in the midst of Woodstock, Georgia, right here in North Georgia that says the power of God is still available. Jesus is still touching people. There's still a way to touch Jesus' bones through the provision of His death, that there's still a way to be revived. Prodigals come home and be revived. Dead people bound in sin come alive in Jesus' name. That we're a context. That contact with Jesus can happen. And then lastly, there's not just the power of contact and the power of contact with the context, but there's the power of a contact. The power of a contact. Do you remember in John 1.40 at the beginning of Jesus' time where He's drawing who the Father has for Him, the men who would become the apostles, His disciples? In John 1.40 it says, One of the two, come on band, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas. Cephas. It's just translated to stone. Here we see, what do we see? The power of a contact. The first time Simon Peter is brought before Jesus, it's through the contact of his brother Andrew. See, the power of a contact is this is how people come in contact contact with God. The power of a contact is this is how people meet Jesus. Listen to me. God uses 
His people who stay in contact with Jesus through communing with the Holy Spirit to bring people to know Jesus. That's how God works. That's God's primary method. That's the heart of God. To use you and I, if we'll remain in contact with the Holy Spirit, to bring others to knowing Jesus. To knowing Jesus. Remember the woman at the well? If not, go read it this afternoon in John 4. Or talk about it in the connect groups. But what you see is you see the power of contact. That here's a woman who comes in contact with Jesus. Here's a woman at a well who comes in contact with a living well because on the inside she's dry and famished and can't find what will fulfill her lust and her longing now that she's on like her sixth man. That's the power of contact. But watch this. You see the power of a context because it didn't happen right in the midst of the city where all the fighting and disagreement was happening where the tension of we believe this and we believe that and we believe that this is the most important issue and these believe no no listen the power of a context is it was outside of the city where true listening engagement conversation respect could happen now watch this then you see though the power of a contact because in John 4:39 I think they have this one and many of the Samaritans of that city believed in Him because of the word of the woman who testified, He told me all that I ever did. The power of a contact. I want you to think about you when you came to the Lord the first time. Meet Jesus. I bet you in your story, most likely, it's the story of the power of a contact. It was a person who was staying in contact with the Holy Spirit that God used to bring you into contact with a living Savior who knew everything about you and didn't push you away, who didn't leave you. But as you begin to touch by faith His bones, He began to revive you. He began to say you can live again. He began to say your past don't have to dictate your future. Shame and guilt don't have to hold you down. Oh, the power of a contact. So let me ask you this question in conclusion. Who needs you as a contact in their life? Who needs you as a contact in their life? Who do you need to be a contact to this week? And how will you first experience contact with the Lord? Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.